I've had ACL injuries. I've had microfractures. I've had an ankle operation. I've had a double hernia operation. I've had two open heart surgeries. There's so many people out there that are having open heart surgeries or have issues with their hearts and have all the same feelings that I felt, have all the same kind of concerns that I felt or have had all the same thoughts that I've had. But when you have that person to go, do you know what? I had exactly the same operation or I've gone through exactly the same thing. I know exactly what you're feeling. I know exactly what you're saying. That kind of connection with someone, it's priceless. This week's guest on Chapters is former professional footballer Mark O'Brien. Mark tells us about his rapid introduction to first-team football with Derby County at just 16 years of age and why Derby felt like home for him. Only a few months after the extreme high of making his debut with Derby, Mark's life was turned upside down when doctors informed him he had a leaking aortic valve. After defying doctors' expectations, Mark continued to play for another 11 years before retiring in 2017. This is the first part of a two-part conversation with Mark. We ran out of time in our first meeting and I had loads more questions I wanted to ask him about the ups and downs of being a professional footballer. So let's get to it. Here's my conversation with Mark O'Brien. Then let's get into that. You're from Dublin. How did you end up getting that that deal to go to Derby at such a young age? Well, I played like in, in a Dublin league with Cherry Orton, my local team. And literally, they are... Sunday league side basically but they're like over in Ireland like it's very very competitive so like you get like normally you, you, they get the pick of the bunch out of that league so mm. it's like any good players from each from each team scouts go and watch games they go watch cup finals they go watch a game on a Saturday if they hear about a player yeah. and that, that that's literally how it happened like I had a couple of trials before that like I, I, I went to Man City I went to um, Liverpool and I went to Blackburn and if I if if I had been probably another week later that Derby came in and asked for me to go there, I was signing for Blackburn because I went there a couple of times, loved every minute of it. But when Derby came in, it was something that I just said yes because I said yes to most opportunities to try and see which one I liked the most. Mm-hmm. But there was just something about Derby when I went there. Um, it just felt like a home from home. It was just something where everybody made me feel welcome. It was a place I felt as though I was wanted because I think I looked at all the other ones and like Man City was a massive academy, so many players. Liverpool was a massive academy and so many players. And Derby was kind of like a small family feel place. And I felt as though I had opportunity there. I felt as though there would have been an opportunity to go and play. And I I just think that that's something that probably went a much longer way than it did just going for the sake of a, of a name like a Liverpool and to be wearing the badge and different things. I think I looked at it and thought, this this could be where I actually get an opportunity to play. And they made me feel welcome. So it was a no-brainer for me. What was your parents' reaction when you said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to Derby? Had they already visited with you or was it uh, just your father going over or...? No, they, they they both visited with me um, when I made the when I made the decision because usually when I flew away it was always by myself or my dad would go and um, when I flew over uh, and I explained to me to 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 my family like that Derby is the club I want to go to like I'm excited to be there and I want to be there like I, I they 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 both were just always supportive of everything that I've done like and. And they wanted me to go to the place I was going to be happiest. And they could tell by me that Derby was that place. So 
they flew over they they seen the place and they they realized for themselves how how great of the people how great the people were there because they made me family feel welcome they made everybody just feel like yeah like derby is is a home from home and i think again i think if you asked me ma'am she probably would have turned around and never wanted me to go away because i think that's just an irish mother i think they don't want you to go away they want you to stay at home for the rest of your life but she was supportive of me and my dad was just as supportive and they were they were really like delighted for me that i was getting a chance to go over and 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 pursue a dream and 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 have me dream a reality so how soon was it you got into the first team at derby so when i flew over um i flew over in 2008 and i was there for the full season um but i was only a schoolboy because i was only 15 when i turned 16 that year they were able to register me as a derby county player so i could play for the under 18 so for for three, four months, I was playing with I was playing with the under sixteens, but I was training with the under eighteens. And then once I registered, I went from training with the under eighteens to then playing with the under eighteens, and that kind of grew a little bit. And then by the time we got to about Christmas time, or just after, um, I got five minutes in a reserve game, and Nigel Clough was the manager at the time. He obviously liked what he saw, and then I got another 10 15 minutes in a reserve game a couple of weeks later and i kind of just developed from that um the manager really enjoyed what he saw um and i just carried on playing and by the time we got to the last day of the season um we were playing um for the academy on a saturday and my mom and dad were over because it was the last game of the season for for the academy it was the second last game of the season for the first team and my dad was standing up on the hill and, and Nigel Clough walked over and was speaking to my family and making sure that they're okay and different things, saying hello. And we went to the Derby game. So I didn't know my dad has, had already had the conversation with him. Um, we went to the Derby game and then when the game finished, like obviously my mum and dad were flying back on the on the Sunday. So when they were flying back, um, my dad said to me, I'll see you next week. And I kind of just blanked it and laughed a little bit. And I said, look, our season's finished. I, like, I'm like i coming home next week. He goes, no, no. He said, we'll be back over with it. We'll be back over next week. I said, it's not possible. I said, because like, there's no game to come back over for. He said, you're with the force team next week. And I and I kind of just laughed because I thought it was my dad being my dad. He just would wind me up. And I said, no, I'm not. He goes, yeah. He said, I'll see you next week. He said, my mate Noyage was up on the hill and he told me all of this. So... Once he said that, I kind of just laughed. I literally just laughed and I thought, right, you're winding me up now. <laughs> so when Monday came, we had like one week left of training and different things. And then we were like obviously getting a chance to go home. And it was on the Monday, we're sitting in the academy change room, putting our boots on. And it was Gary Crosby or Andy Garner came up to the academy change room and the door opened and said, I'll be with us today. And at that moment, it was kind of like, my heart sank. I thought, uh-oh, like I'm with the force team. So I went down, trained with them and trained really well. It was kind of like that adrenaline rush, making your debut kind of feeling. It was like everything just went great. I was making tackles. I was trained really well. Like everything was just like unbelievable. I loved every minute of it. And then you go into the canteen afterwards and you have all the force team lads coming over going, if there was a man of the match for training, OB, you would have got it today. You were unbelievable and all that. And, it made you. It made you feel good. Like it, it, it made me feel like 
yeah, do you know what? I actually done really well. Yeah, it, it made me just it made me just feel like um, I've achieved something, and it was only a training session. So, um, the, I, I was with them for the full week, and then on the Thursday there was like an end of season awards um, for like the in house club stuff, and the manager pulled me over to his table and said, um, "Fancy a game Saturday?" And I, I, I can't. Yeah, Noiser Clough, like, he called me over and said, fancy a game Saturday? And I looked at him again and I was kind of like, yeah. And he goes, right, we're playing Watford away Saturday. I come on with us. And that was it. And that was that's when I found out about it. And I kind of, like, thought to myself, like, my dad actually was telling me the truth. So You still didn't believe your dad until you until Clough said? Yeah, and, and, until until me, until Noiser Clough said, like, I'll be travelling with them on Saturday, I, I didn't believe him because I just thought, once he used the words, my mate Noyage up on the hill was telling me, I just thought he's he's joking around there. So it was Watford away last day of the season. Um, then I get to the game and he puts the team up and I'm on the bench, which I thought, this is great. Like it, it was one of them feelings where you kind of just went along with it. Like there was, there was no like kind of thinking about it. It was just like one thing after the next where I made the bench. Then you're warming up on the pitch and yeah, like I'm in a massive stadium. Like it's, I went from a local park in Dublin the, the year before to now I'm playing at Vicarage Road and twenty two thousand people at the game. So it was um it was very surreal, but I was I was just loving it. Like I was just thinking like this is this this is the best feeling ever. Went in, they were three 0 down at half time and we came back out for the second half and Mark Dudley, who was um a first year pro at the time, he was on the bench sitting next to me, so I knew him from the academy and he looked over Andy Garner's shoulder and said you're coming on after 60. And like I, I, I kind of looked at him and I thought, what? He said, yeah, you're coming on after 60 minutes. So I looked up at the clock and it was about 57, 58 minutes gone. And Andy Garner turned around and said, oh, be get warm. And I've never understood what get warm meant Like at the time. I just jogged up the sideline, jogged back a little bit, stood there stretching my hamstring for some reason. Like It was just like, it was like I was in autopilot. Like, I was just standing there watching the game, thinking, I'm going on now. And then I just got the right, come back down the touchline. And then got changed. And Nigel Clough just pulled me to to the side, put his arm around me and said, kick it and head it, be a defender. And that was it. And then I went on. I played centre-back with Rob Holtz at the time, who was a striker. So the minute I got onto the pitch, Rob Holtz turned around to me and said, you're the defender, you tell me what to do. And I was just kind of like, okay. <laughs> But it was kind of that moment where you throw all the kind of sideshow away of being 16. It was literally another game of football. That is all it was to me. They, they mustn't have looked at you as a 16-year-old kid. They must have looked at you as a teammate. Yeah, like like spending the week with them kind of done that to an extent. Like once, once I was on the pitch with anybody and I never really mattered, once I was on the pitch and there was a ball there and... It's that cliche of like crossing the white line, but for me at that age, that's all that it was. Mm. It was a game of football. So when the ball was there to win a header, I won it. When the ball was there to be tackled, I tackled. When the ball was there to be cleared and kicked as far as I could, I would. So like there was, it, it was kind of like you just go back into right. It's like I'm playing down for Cherry Orchard yeah. back on a Sunday again. It was that kind of feeling. Like and don't get me wrong, the occasion of twenty twenty two thousand people at the game. It is a big occasion, but even at the time, like to know, like my awareness of the goalkeeper came rushing out. I got myself back onto the line and clear run off the line, all in the same game. And then the game finished three one. We scored a goal when I was on the pitch, so it was kind of like 
everything that could have went amazing, mm. like literally went perfect. And everybody was delighted for me. Like Robbie Savage was unbelievable for me. Like I know he made, he was someone where what you yeah. want your club captain to be. Like he's full of banter, full of jokes and he'll like rip, rip, like anything out of you. Like, and like really, really like you would go um, far with it. But as a club captain and, and a person to be there for a kid who's just making his debut, anything I did from winning a header, making a tackle, clearing one off the line, he was the first one over to me. Well done, OB, arm around the shoulder. They just kind of give you that chest out moment, that bit of a boost to let you know you're doing what's right. And, and then, you, and that you could possibly you could do it again. You yeah, could play next game as well and it, keep going with it. Exactly, and it gave me that confidence to sure. kind of continue it on. And and then you that's the end of the season, isn't it? That that game, and then you yeah. you go back to Ireland. I'm guessing. Yeah, I went back to Ireland um, in the off season, like. As you do, you go home, you spend it with your family. Um, everyone is delighted that you made your debut and everybody is kind of like trying to keep your feet on the ground all at the same time, saying, look at the hard work starts now and all, all, all of those different things. But like, I was actually looking forward to that so, so much at that time. And like, I've just made my debut for Derby County, but my thought process was, I can't wait to go home and tell my friends, can't wait to go home and tell my family. And, and that's the way it was. And then you have to you have to report for a preseason training, and I'm guessing that's going to be the start of July, and that's when things start to change. Yeah, we had to go back report back in. I think it was on the second of July, and obviously I'm going back over there, and and people are like full of confidence in me, expecting big things. Like I was the 16 year old at the time. At that time, I think I was second youngest to play for Derby. Like it was. It was something where a lot of people had a lot of expectation from me. But again, I was going back in on pre-season. And how Nigel Clough deals with things was I went back straight in with the academy. Um, and I'm doing my pre-season training and different things. And you get routine heart scans because I became a first-year scholar then. So being a first-year scholar, you get your routine heart scans. You get all your medical checks and different things. And this was the first time I've ever had to do anything like this. So... It was kind of like a, right, let's get this done so I can kind of continue on playing football. You'd, like Because I didn't think there was anything wrong. I was scanned um, in the training ground. And I remember after I was scanned, the specialist walked out, grabbed the physio, came back in, sat me down and basically said, look, Mark, you've got a really minor leak in your, in your aortic valve. Now he said, nothing may come of it, but he said it's something that you do need to keep an eye on because... He said these things people can live with in their lives, but also he said something like you do have to keep an eye on it because something can obviously go wrong all at the same time. So I was just yeah. kind of, you kind of, it was a bit of a shock, but it was kind of, they never told me I can't play football. So I was kind of like, okay, so can I get back out and train now? Like I didn't really, I didn't really understand what was going on. So again, I think it was the, it was the beginning in football where everybody was starting to wear heart rate monitors, GPS vests, all these different things that um, can, can track everything that you're doing. And we were all wearing heart rate monitors. And then in one training session I was doing, my heart rate went to 220, 223, I think it was. And my average heart rate was 203. So my heart rate was never dropping. It was just staying constantly really high. And they didn't really know why. They just thought, well, maybe Mark's just working harder than everybody else. But 
because of that scan, they kind of put two and two together and they followed her up with saying, okay, so can we send these off to a specialist and kind of progress things and see, see, is this like a connection between the two? And they sent them to a specialist. The specialist got back and said, look, we'll send Mark from for an MRI scan. Um, we want to see how his heart is functioning. We want to see how things are going and, and we want to see how the valve may be affecting like everything that's going on at the moment. So I ended up going for an MRI scan and had the scan. The results came back and the specialist told me, um, told the physio that on a scale of one to 10, the valve is leaking um, up to an eight back into his heart, which they said was, was, was quite bad. So I think that's when they started taking it real serious and um, they sent off those results to another specialist and in the time, like I'm speaking to my dad about everything, I'm, I'm letting my dad know it all, but yeah. I was always reluctant to tell my mum a lot because she was someone that would always really worry for me. She was always really worried just because I lived away from home. It was her, it was her baby living away from home and she, like I, I didn't really want to tell her much because... I didn't want her to panic or worry because we didn't really know much information at the time. So we ended up following her up with another specialist. So then went to see another specialist and that specialist came back basically saying, look, Mark, the valve is leaking. Um, it's at the developing or it's at the getting a, a little bit worse. So we're going to have to um, send these results off to um, another specialist slash surgeon. And I was like, Roy. Mm. so in all this time of all the scans I was getting told you can still play football you can still train you can still um, do what you need to do you can still play you won't need an operation for maybe another 30, 40, 50 years and me in my mind I always kept thinking well if it's 30, 40, 50 years football's going to be long gone I'll be, I'll be fine and then went to see a specialist so um, after after that, we put a date together about going to see the surgeon slash specialist at the Had time. Had you been told to stop playing completely at this point, just in case, or were you still playing? No, like I, I was still training. I was still doing little bits. Um, I was obviously, I, I, I don't think I was um, doing a lot. I think it was something that I, I was just doing little bits. Um, I was pre-season, but I was getting, because like of... Uh, the kind of adjustment to a English pre-season, your legs feel a bit stiffer, so you're kind of integrating yourself into the English way of training rather than what I was used to training twice a week right. back in Ireland. So it was kind of a, a thing where some days my legs would be aching or I'd be getting pains in places that I've never had before and they'd take you out of training. So I was kind of like drip-fed into training a little bit at the time, so it wasn't as, as full-on, but I was doing like a lot of... Um, pre-season running so it was a it was a bit of both and at the time when again the specialist um surgeon um set a date for me uh to go see him my family um were, were found to come over so obviously they were filled in on everything but they they knew already but they got yeah. filled in so i remember we were at the glenfield hospital in leicester and we were sitting in this small office and it was the physio, myself, my mum and my dad. And I've always said it. It's something that you, even though I was 16, I can I can always remember it till, till this exact day that the surgeon came walking into the walking into the office, sat down at his desk, and then he had this model heart in his hand. 
And he literally just held it up and just literally said, right, Mark, look, this is what's wrong with you. Your heart is three times the size of what it should be for your age. And if you don't have the operation done this year, you're going to die. And it was at that moment I was kind of, again, an outer body experience. Mm. It was, you can't really, you can't be speaking to me. Like, I've just made mm. me debut. I've just gone and played for Derby County's force team. And now, like, you have somebody standing in front of your face telling you that you could die this year. And I didn't really know how to take it. And I kind of just looked at my family and looked at the physio. I was into, like, like the just... It was that kind of surreal, like, is he, is he joking? Is like, kind of feeling, yeah. And when when he told me that, then he went into a bit more detail, saying about um, the valve and what's wrong with the valve and um, why my heart has, has grown three times the size of what it should be. He said, basically, he said, it's like if you get a, a new balloon out of a packet. And he said, you blow that up to the max it can go. He said, and then when you let that down, he said, it won't go back to normal shape, does it? He said, so that's like your heart. He said, your heart is expanding to the most it can go, but it's not going back to shape. So every time it keeps going even further and further, it's getting bigger. And then it's going back and it's into a bigger shape and a bigger shape. He said, because look, your heart's a muscle and it grows. And, and he went into all these different details. And I kind of sat really. And my first question that came about was, can I still play football? Like there wasn't, there was no questions about the whole point of saying that you could die this year. It was can I still play football? And I think mm. being sixteen was something that went in my favour at that time because I wasn't thinking of anything other than can I still play football? Because football, like because I, I literally had a taste of first team football the season before to then all of a sudden like get told that you you could die. I just wanted to know can I still play? And his words to me, where he said, you'd be lucky to play down the park with your friends, let alone, he said, play as a, a professional standard. So that that probably hurt me more, strangely enough, to hear that I probably will never get to play again. Like the, It's like the comment of getting told, and, and as I said, I still remember it till this day, but that comment of getting told you could be dead within a year didn't hit me as hard as him telling me that you'll never play football again. Yeah. And I think that's where my mindset was at and that's where it was for me. And he basically went through the procedures, what can happen and, and what procedures he can do and the percentages of, of what can go right and what can go wrong. And I said, which one is going to give me the best opportunity to play? And he said, well, if you go for a pigskin valve, he said, it means that you'd be on a certain amount of tablets, but then when you come off the tablets, it's going to be a tissue valve, which means that if it takes to your body, you can potentially get yourself back fit and you could potentially get back playing football. And I said, okay. I said, so I want that one. And he said, are you sure? And I said, that's the one I want. I said, if it gives me a chance of playing football. And he said to me, he was like, well, look, he said, I said, you can play football. He said, I, I like getting back to a professional standard, he said, is a, is a totally different ball game. But he said, there'd be no restrictions in you trying to get there. But he said, don't be disheartened if you don't. Because this is a massive, serious operation. But I didn't understand that. I just thought, well, if you said I can play football, I'm going to give it everything I can. You just wanted to get started, I suppose. Exactly. And from what I was told from other specialists of 20, 30, 40, 50 years, you won't need an operation. Um, 
he looked into his diary and said, okay, look, Mark, he said, we can do an operation in the next two weeks. And that's where it kind of hit home. And that's, it was, it was at that moment I was like, this is happening. And even though I can sit and say I was 16 and naive, I still remember the moment of saying I can do it in two weeks. And it was two weeks on a Sunday. And at that time I was like, Oh, so like, there's no time to think about this. It's literally happening, which I think again, went in my favor. I didn't have time to think about it, but it was, I turned around and I said, right, I'll, I'll have it then. And my family were just, again, supportive of everything. They were probably going to, they were probably going to ask the doctor questions behind me back that I don't know of that they didn't want to ask in front of me. So Derby and Noiser Clough is the manager. Let me go home for two weeks, spend time with my family, my friends, everything just to take my mind off things. Um, and again, my family were just supportive as could be. My friends were just as supportive as could be. Like everybody was just, Mark, you're going to be okay. Look, you are a young 16, str- like fit, strong, healthy. He said, your body will take this. Like everything's going to be fine. If anyone at any age can do it, it's going to be a 16 year old to get through this yeah, operation. Exactly. Exactly. And that's what I had everybody tell me. And, and stuff like that was, was, was great to hear because my mind, uh, strangely enough, my mind wasn't on it too much at the time, thinking, "Oh well, this is uh this is actually happening." Like my mind was kind of like, "Right, I can't wait for it to happen so I can play football." Like it was, it was strange, but football was such a massive thing and such a massive distraction to me that I just wanted it. I, I, I was, it, it was almost as though I was treating it as, um, I was treating it as an operation that I was getting me knee done i was getting an ankle operation i was getting an arm done like it wasn't that oh like my heart is in trouble here like there was nothing like that yeah and i think this operation is going to get you back on the pitch yeah and 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 that was basically it and i think it was only it was only when it was getting close to the time when i flew back over to um derby uh i flew back over with my mom and we had to go over a couple of days early before the operation because they needed to do blood tests, x-rays, exams, like everything just to make sure everything is, is working accordingly. And it was the, the day before the operation. And I remember like me and my mum were in Leicester where we were staying in a little holiday inn just outside the just outside the hospital. And me and my mum were just sitting and we were just watching telly. We were watching um we were watching like telly, listening to music and it, it just felt as though like at that moment Again, it was when I, I looked at it and I thought, now I'm kind of getting scared. Now I'm getting nervous because I'm away from everybody. Now I have time to think about it. I'm not home in Ireland anymore. I'm not at football anymore. Now I'm actually getting scared. And my mom, who was like me rock, really, like she was just, she was, she was unbelievable through everything. And I could only imagine, like, understanding everything now, what she was going through. But, like, I would have never thought that she would have had any single out in her mind that I was going to be okay but she filled me with so much confidence that Mark you're going to be fine Mark everything's going to be fine mm-hmm. I'm going to be outside I'm going to be outside the operating theatre when they're gone I'm going to be there for you I'm going to be there the whole time so whether you know I'm there or not I'm telling you now that I'm going to be there and that's all that yeah. she kept telling me and to know that my ma was going to be there like was that like kind of little comfort blanket for me to go at least I have my mum there and I went into the hospital on the Saturday 
and me ma, me da, everybody saying that they're good boys when I was in the hospital bed. Um, and I remember I was just sitting in the room and I was just watching match of the day. And it was a Saturday night. I was watching match of the day on telly. And I was getting I was getting the feeling that I don't want to go to sleep because when I sleep and wake up, this is happening. I just felt as though yeah. the longer I stay awake, the the less chance or the longer I stay awake, the further away the operation is because the minute I sleep and wake up, this is happening. And I could never get that out of my head. So after a while, I ended up drifting off asleep. But then I got woken up at five in the morning. Then as I was getting wheeled down, um, I remember kind of being drowsy, but my mum was next to the bed um, and my auntie was next to the bed. And as I was getting wheeled down, I could see my mum just saying, love you, I'm going to be here the whole time. The operation was six and a half hours. So I woke up in intensive care and the first thing I see was like my mum there, my dad there, um, my auntie was there and just literally saying, I'm alive. Like that, that is the be all and end all of it. Like I literally just, I was alive. Like I got through it and the pain in your chest, like there's, there's so much to it. Like the pain in your chest, the tubes that they have coming out of your stomach to your neck to everything. Like there was just so many things going on, but it was just the fact of, right, I'm alive. And I was on all sorts of medication and couldn't really, like I was on all sorts of painkillers, everything. And I just like was talking away and and different things. I don't remember what I said, how I said it, but I was more than happy. And like delighted that I'm actually, I'm, I'm alive. A couple of weeks before that, you just wanted to get on with the operation to kind of get back to football, and then when you wake up, it's suddenly, oh, actually, this was this was a lot more than just football. Now this was actually just getting back to being awake and getting back to being healthy again. Yeah, and 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 that's that was exactly it. It was it was literally to the point of as much as I was doing everything for football, it, it was the first time I actually sat there and said, "I'm alive. I've made it." Like, and that in itself is something that. I never spoke and told anybody at the time, but that was the reality of when I woke up. I thought, I'm actually alive right now. I've Now I've got through it. Now I just want to get back. Now I just want to do what I need to do. Like I was always someone that was always, right, now that I've done this, now I'm going to do this, and now I'm going to do this. There was never a kind of sit back, relax, and like understand the situation that's just gone on here. But again, I know it's, I know it's very easy to say, but what 16-year-old are you able to say don't think too far ahead and don't think of this and don't go do this like i had my mindset on like i need this to get done because to an extent like i had the the small doubt in my mind am i going to come back the same player again am i going to be so i thought the longer i spend our football the longer um like your 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 skills everything that you've learned is all going to just leave you and you have to start all over again kind of feeling but you did kind of have to start all over again because i'm guessing that your, your recovery what what did the doctor say would be a kind of a a recovery to get back to just jogging, for instance? Yeah, like and and you hit the nail on the head. I did start all over again. Like I would, so when I got out of intensive care within a day, um, you have to start walking straight away. So the physio from the hospital come in, and she gets you out of the bed and says, "Right, we're going to walk from here to see that bed just right next to you and back again." Right, so you walk to the bed and back again. 
but like you're taking a couple of steps and you're thinking and like you, you, you're just completely starting like like a child all over again you're starting to, to learn how to walk again and well it's it's, it's almost worse than that because you've got probably extreme pain on your on your chest it's a traumatic procedure isn't it yeah and yeah, like there was no way i was going to be able to gauge it off any pain i've had before like there was no way i was going to be able to turn around and say well this pain will be like this and i got through that so maybe i can get through this like this was something where like your chest has just been opened is this the operation that fraser franks had as well yeah so this is the exact same operation that that fraser franks had um literally 10 weeks ago now and i remember i spoke with him through all of that as well trying to be there for him because i was able to give him the kind of little bits of heads up of like this like expect this to be like this and this will be tough and expect this to be happening and if you feel this way don't worry and that like that and that's what i've always wanted to be because to an extent i never had that and that is something that I never had somebody to give me the kind of heads up about the exact procedure that that's exactly going to happen and what exactly route you're going to have to take to kind of be and get yourself recovered. Now, I'm not saying every operation is the same, but I don't think you can kind of say anything different that open heart surgery is pretty similar to where it's the same bone, the same chest, the same everything getting open. Yeah, everybody has a different heart, but the fact that I could be that something for somebody, um, yeah. And actually try and just guide them that little bit through it probably meant more to me than anything. Because, like, when I was 16, I didn't have any of that. And the pain of your chest, like, you can't lift the bag with one hand. You have to do everything with two hands. You can't stand up too quick. You're not allowed to laugh when you sneeze. Like, I had to carry a small pillow around with me for, oh, for, for eight, nine, ten weeks. I had to carry a small pillow that... When you feel like you're going to laugh, cough, sneeze, anything that goes on, you have to squeeze it as tight as possible so your chest doesn't like kind of not like knit back properly together. Like, so there's all these different things that you never know, but the pain of it is just something that like yeah. you take for granted. Like the smallest of movements, like laying on your side when you sleep, standing and sitting up from a sofa, all those small movements that are just a normal day to day life thing, you take for granted because once that your sternum has been cracked open. You don't understand the amount of movements that go through your sternum. And the fact that that, that is the, where the pain is, it's just something that is, is, is very, very difficult to try and get yourself better from. Do you think there's a kind of the opportunity for that in the future? You know, let's say not just for open heart surgery, but just for player injury in general of there being, let's say there's someone has a major injury. I mean, you've had injuries as, as, as a player as well, not, you know, for, I think you had knee problems, didn't you? And that there are kind of like immediate player support, ne like to contact those players to go, I went through this. It's almost like this kind of network that maybe other players could kind of communicate and go, I've been there, mate. It was tough, but I can support you on this one. Yeah, and, and, and you know what? I think that's why social media sometimes nowadays is actually really good because there are a lot of people that do reach out for things because, as you've said yourself there, like I've had ACL injuries, I've had microfractures, I've had an ankle operation, I've had a double hernia operation, I've had two open heart surgeries. So, like, literally, as the list goes on, it's like phone me about anything, text me about anything because yeah. there are a lot of people out there that... 
I've only realized from speaking out a lot more now that there, mm-hmm. that there's so many people out there that are having open heart surgeries or have issues with their hearts and have all the same feelings that I felt and have all the same kind of concerns that I've felt or have had all the same thoughts that I've had. And as much as everybody, again, is an individual, everybody still goes through the same feelings. So when you know that you've got that one person that when if I was to talk to one of the footballers or one of the lads or people like that who's never had open heart surgery, they can understand to an extent but when you have that person to go, do you know what? I had exactly the same operation or I've gone through exactly the same thing. I know exactly what you're feeling. I know exactly what you're saying. Like that kind of connection with someone, you will just, it's its priceless. And that's why like, I take massive pride in, in being open and honest about so many different things. Because at the beginning, it was difficult because every time I'd be open and honest, I was reliving it. I was going through every last emotion. I was going through every last feeling of of the operations. I was going through every last feeling of how the operation made me felt. I was going through every last bit of the the being scared every like at each time that I had the open heart surgery. Like I was going back through the whole like, am I gonna wake up? Am I not feeling? And to kind of got myself strong enough to be open and honest about it, to then see what it has done for there has been a lot of people that have reached out to me um, through social media and stuff to be able to kind of say, Mark, like everything I heard you speaking about, like, do you know what? I was actually able to sit there and go, he understands me. And we never had a conversation before in our lives, but they felt as though they have someone out there who understands me. And then that's why me trying to be that example of going, right, now that you can see someone who's had exactly the same as what you had, who goes through exactly the same feelings as you had, it should show you that there's no limit to what you can come back and achieve. And that's the example that I want to say, that even though we might have had the same things and we both have dealt with it the same way and you haven't had the rub of agreeing like myself to be able to get my voice out there, well, I'll be the voice for you. I'll be the one to kind of go, well, these are the struggles that do happen and this is why they happen. And sometimes, like you say, it's it's priceless stuff just to have that initial connection with someone that can sit there and just hand on heart say i know exactly what you mean no i can only imagine how you feel it's i know exactly what you feel and that's that's something that yeah that's that's something that like i say is um is is priceless to anybody and you and fraser franks were actually um teammates weren't you yeah so when he, he he played at newport um in the season i think it was 20 2018 19 um he played that season and like he came from stevenage we were just teammates um played center back a couple of times together and again it like there was no really kind of um thing about hearts there was no nothing and i remember his last game we played Notts county away and um we were doing well i think we were winning two three one at the time and I remember, like, Fraser was just feeling, like, he said he was feeling fatigued. He was feeling tired. He was feeling, like, my legs are me legs are feeling heavy here. Like, there wasn't anything of, like, me chest, me chest. But I remember he came off, and then it was only a couple of weeks later, like, he was um, telling everybody that he was going to have to retire or 
he was got he got given a decision to retire um from a doctor what's going to be best for his life and i remember i had one little conversation with him to say like look this is this is your life now this isn't just we're not six we're not 16 we're not 17 18 19 years of age to kind of say look we have a football career ahead of us like we have like it's a decision to make to kind of say look at this is life now this is what you have going forward like think of the bigger picture and he came he came with the decision of retirement and again it's 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 hard to see um somebody having to retire like that um because when it gets thrown upon you like that now at the time i didn't understand it but i understand it so much more now you you at the beginning you kind of think of it as it's like you're off season again your first couple of weeks and you're thinking this is fine like look it's fine i'm over it but then once you lose that purpose and you lose that routine every single day and you lose that changing room that you go in and see everybody every day and you lose that connection that maybe as a footballer as well yeah a hundred percent like your whole identity is a footballer that's all you've ever known and i remember being told i think it was kevin ellison before saying footballers are just like people from the army but the only difference is footballers don't get shot at because everything else is exactly the same everything else from when you wake up to when you sleep to how you sleep to what you eat to how you train to what you train the timetable like everything is all tailored for you yeah and it's all tailored and regimented to exactly how you have to live and you come away from that you start and having to think for yourself and do things for yourself and you don't know how because you don't know anything you don't know a normal way of living let's put it you are living in a foot you, you live in a bubble when you're in football and that is literally it and i understand fraser so much more now for when i got thrown upon him to to kind of come out of that bubble and i understand and and i've seen him in his in his social media that he's had his struggles but you know what at the time of when um he sent me through the message of needing the open heart surgery the exact same one that I had at 27, three years ago when I had to retire. That was something that, that was me kind of moment to kind of say, do you know what? If I was going to be there for someone and I wanted someone there for me, like this, this is exactly how like I'd want it to be. Like, I'm glad you've reached out for me. I'm glad I can give you the insights of saying what blood thinners are, what tablets you'll be on, how your chest is going to feel, what you can, can't do. And just give them that bit of a heads up. Now, giving a heads up still doesn't mean like you're gonna understand or you're gonna know the pain until it happens. I, I, I was open and honest with him about a lot of things, saying, "Look, it's not going to be anything close to what I'm saying. Like, it's something you have to experience, and it's going to be tough. It's going to be difficult. Like, the procedure is going to take a lot out of you. You're going to start from." like scratch all over again like from what you're doing fitness wise now you are going to literally go back to ground zero to start again i said and i had to give him those realities because it put him in a better mind frame to kind of accept it and go right i know i'm going to be going back to nothing now rather than help him on the long run yeah. yeah and it kind of gave him that bit of an understanding to say well do you know what even though i have to go back to ground zero at least i know i am going back rather than thinking after the operation because the one thing that I found after my operation was when I was 16, you, you don't you don't realize how far back you go and you have to start all over again. You just think mm. you have the operation. It's fixed now. Now let's go and pick up where I left off. You don't realize you have to go there to go back there. 
and I think that's that's where that's where it really messed with me a little bit. But to have that insight of it, to be able to give that to him and and give him that understanding, and again, like I was reaching out to his family, like I I was on the phone to him when he got admitted into hospital um, the day before his operation, and I spoke with him for a few hours on the phone just to see how he was feeling and and to kind of see where his head was at. And in all fairness, he he came to a lot of acceptance for a lot of stuff, and I think that was a massive. Mm a massive achievement for himself just to come to that acceptance of knowing what's happening, the path he's going. But it's, but it's um, there to, to improve his life. He, he under, probably un, got to understand that it was there to improve his life. It wasn't, it wasn't a personal thing to take away your football career. It's, it, this is to, this is for the good of your life and your family and kids. And Exactly. Exactly that. And, and, and I think when, when you get to that realization of, of the bigger picture, because you're out of that football bubble in football, in football, you just think it's football or nothing. You think that that's all that it is. But you come away from football, and if you're a 31, 32-year-old in football, you're seen as an old, experienced player. You come out, you come out to the real world, and you're 32 years of age. You're seen as a young, you're seen as a, a young man. So it's like you get, you get like literally, um, you get trained into thinking that you're older than you actually are when you're coming out of football. That was part one of my conversation with Mark O'Brien. If you want to read a more detailed story about Mark's footballing career, I would absolutely recommend his new book, A Game of Two Hearts, which is out now. I'll put that link in the description below. Thanks again to Mark, and I look forward to speaking to him again in part two. Thank you for listening. If you haven't yet subscribed, please do, and you'll be kept up to date with all the new episodes that come available.